You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information. Well, here it is. It's late August. I have to tell you, I was out riding my bike the other day along the Hudson River in Albany, New York, and I couldn't help but notice that the leaves were just starting to fall off the trees. Honestly, the path was covered in leaves. It's really hard to believe that summer's almost over and autumn is quickly approaching. Where did summer go? Now, what this also means is that in another six weeks or so, people will be flocking to the mountains of New York and New England, you know, to do a little bit of leaf peeping. And personally, there are a few things as beautiful as hopping in the car, taking a long drive into the mountains, and seeing the amazing beauty of the fall foliage. It's simply beautiful. Well, Sunday, September 28th of 1941, was such a day for the Hollingworth family of Dunstable, Massachusetts, which is a rural town near the city of Lowell, Massachusetts. Now, I'm guessing most of you don't know where Dunstable or Lowell is, so let me just tell you, Dunstable lies approximately 30 miles or 48 kilometers northwest of Boston and just a short distance south of the New Hampshire state border. Anyway, the sky was clear, the air was brisk, and it was the perfect day for the family to head into the mountains for a picnic. In the car that day were Joseph E. Hollingworth, that's the dad, his wife Blanche, that's mom, their nine-year-old son Ted, five-year-old daughter Pamela, then there was Joseph's dad, Joseph K., and that's all we're going to mention about him. He's not really part of the story. And then finally there was Blanche's mother, Minnie Moulton. So there were six people in the car, and their destination was in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, which is about a two-hour, just a little bit over a two-hour drive from their home. Joe Hollingworth described what happened next, quote, We went to White Ledge Forest Park to have a state cookout, and when we found out there were restrictions on cookouts there, we drove to the National Forest Park in Albany. Now that's Albany, New Hampshire, not Albany, New York, and it was about a 20-minute drive north of White Ledge Forest Park, their original destination. Mother-in-law Minnie described what happened next, quote, We stopped the car near the edge of Iona Lake and Joe cooked the meal. Now, that was around 2.15 p.m., she continued. After our lunch, Joe took some pictures of the children. They laughed and seemed so joyful. Pammy and Ted took their water bottles and went down by the lakeside to get some water. They returned in two or three minutes. They then took another trip to the water. Little Pammy never came back. Pamela Hollingworth had disappeared into the dense forest of the White Mountains, which are said to be the most rugged mountains in all of New England. 
The whites are also noticed for their extreme weather conditions. For example, on April 12, 1934, nearby Mount Washington recorded a record-setting wind speed of 231 miles per hour. That's 372 kilometers per hour. Wow. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, that record still holds for a non-tornado, non-hurricane event. Anyway, with autumn setting in, this is not a place for anyone under any circumstance, particularly if you're a lightly dressed five-year-old girl, to get lost. As soon as Joe realized his daughter was missing, he immediately sprung into action. Quote, I knew just where she went, so I went to the spot in an effort to get her. I then realized she was lost, so I ran up and down near the brook calling to her and looking for her. I then started shouting to other people in the park and asked them if they would get in touch with authorities. Keep in mind, this is the early 1940s during World War II. There were no cell phones. Probably someone had to get in their car and drive miles to reach the nearest phone. Pamela was described as having blue eyes, brown hair that was braided and tied with a blue ribbon, and weighing approximately 45 pounds or 20 kilograms. At the time of her disappearance, she was wearing green corduroy overalls and red sneakers. As nightfall approached, alarm turned into panic. The temperatures were expected to drop below the freezing point, although they bottomed out at 32 degrees Fahrenheit or 0 degrees Celsius. Couple that with the natural fear of the dark that most children have, of course her lack of food and shelter, and clearly you have to be worried about wild animals. There were bears there. Anyway, with each passing hour, the number of men searching for Pamela increased and increased. After searching all night with other men for his daughter, Joe Hollingworth was forced to leave the search party by midday Monday for treatment of a shoulder infection that was coupled with sheer exhaustion. Meanwhile, scores of additional men showed up to help with the search. In addition to rangers and local residents, 100 soldiers arrived in army trucks from Fort Devens in Massachusetts to help with the search. They were assisted by 50 men coming from both the WPA, that's Work Progress Administration, and the NYA, that's the National Youth Administration. By the end of the day, an estimated 500 men were searching the area surrounding the location where Pamela had disappeared. As the day progressed, a base camp was set up at the nearby White Ledge campground. Two airplanes circled overhead while two bloodhounds unsuccessfully tried to pick up Pamela's scent. Shag, that's her English setter, was also driven up from the family home in the hope that he might somehow locate her. From a sound truck supplied by the U.S. Forest Service, Joe Hollingworth could be heard desperately calling out for his daughter. Pammy, this is your daddy speaking. If you can hear me, go to the men in the woods who are looking for you. If you're stuck anywhere, yell, and these men will come to you. Sadly, his calls went unanswered. At 2.15 p.m., 24 hours after Pamela had gone missing, an announcement was made that an area of 4.5 square miles, that's 11.7 square kilometers, had been scoured over. While there was the thought that she may have fallen into the stream by which she had been last seen, It was concluded that this was nearly impossible. The mountain stream was far too shallow to hide a body. The plan had been to temporarily suspend the search at nightfall, but just as it was about to happen, a search party spotted faint footprints along the shoreline of Lake Iona, and they appeared to be freshly made. 
Through the freezing darkness, the searchers followed the tracks for an estimated one-quarter mile, that's 0.4 kilometers, before they disappeared. Then, early Tuesday morning, it was reported by one of the search teams that they had heard what sounded like the cry of a small child overnight. It was thought that the child was saying, Mommy, Mommy, but search leaders later concluded it was most likely the cry of a wild bird or animal. Yet, of course, any lead is better than no lead, and the search area was shifted toward the area where those sounds were heard. While Mom Blanche Hollingworth remained at a tourist lodge nearby Conway, Father Joe had recovered enough of his energy to rejoin in the search. Again, his voice could be heard emanating from the sound truck. Quote, Pammy, this is your daddy calling. Don't be afraid, Pam. Don't be afraid. Of course, those are easy words to say, but Joe Hollingworth was clearly scared for his daughter's life. Then, later on that second day, there was another glimmer of hope that Pamela was still alive. A new set of tiny footprints had been spotted along the shoreline of Lake Iona. Mrs. Hollingworth told a reporter, quote, Perhaps it's forlorn hope, but both my husband and I are still trying to be optimistic. She continued, It's been pretty cold in the woods since Pammy got lost Sunday, but the weather hasn't been too bad. Maybe they're just trying to cheer me up, but the leaders of the search say they're confident she'll be found alive. Sadly, many of the searches did not share that same level of optimism. The 24 degree Fahrenheit, or minus 4.4 degrees Celsius temperature, was beginning to take its toll on the men, and they found it hard to imagine how anyone, particularly a young girl who is lacking protection from the elements, how anyone would be able to survive the harsh conditions. Deputy Sheriff Herbert Taylor stated, quote, Your guess is as good as mine, but it seems almost impossible that she hasn't died of exposure. The men that worked during the night almost froze, and all of them were warmly dressed in more heavy jackets. The little girl only had overalls and sneakers on. Yet an unnamed medical specialist was more optimistic, expressing that any child in this situation, quote, won't be able to sleep unless you find shelter, and probably will be in a state of exhaustion due to the need of walking around to keep warm. He added, In certain cases, children have been fasted purposely as long as three weeks, but of course they were in bed. What kind of cruel experiment is that, forcing kids to stay in bed and not eat for three weeks? Holy cow. Wednesday, October 1st began with a frigid low temperature of 20 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 6.7 degrees Celsius. Rain had drenched the region, making the search that much more difficult. In addition, there was a new concern, kidnapping. A woman reported that she had seen a young girl wandering on the road near the picnic area several days earlier, and police were concerned that Pamela may have been picked up by a motorist. Amazingly, police already had a suspect in mind. He was described as a 33-year-old man from North Conway who had committed unspecified sexual offenses. So police sent out an eight-state alarm via teletype for the man's capture. He was believed to have been driving a 1929 brown sedan with New Hampshire license plates. Quote, This man is wanted on suspicion of felony, to wit, kidnapping. Interestingly, police had already interviewed the suspect after a report came in that he had been spotted at the same picnic area that the Hollingworths had visited. 
but apparently the man grew bored after the long periods of waiting while he was being interrogated, and since he wasn't under arrest, he just decided to leave. He did, however, agree to report to the Hun headquarters the next morning, but he was a no-show. In addition, he failed to show up for his construction job atop Mount Washington. Grandmother Minnie Moulton told the press, quote, Joe said from the very first that little Pammy was kidnapped. She went so quickly, just as if she had disappeared into thin air. But why would anyone want to take Pammy? Her father isn't rich, and she was dressed like a ragamuffin. Meanwhile, the story of the missing girl had begun to appear in newspapers all across the nation. And as a result, reward money began to pour in. Now, based on my calculations from the various newspaper reports, and I very much doubt this is a complete accounting of everything that was offered up, over $1,300, which is about $23,000 today, $1,300 was offered up in reward money. Now, some of that was conditioned on Pamela being found alive, while others were not. Thursday, day five, was another cold and cloudy day and three state conservation officers were assigned to drag a nearby pond because the suspect's sister had a cottage near there. They did not find Pamela's remains. But later that day, police in Boston arrested the man suspected of kidnapping Pamela. He claimed to have been partying with friends, and then he visited an ice cream parlor near where she had disappeared. It turns out that after being questioned by the police as to her whereabouts, he feared that his parole would be revoked, so he skipped town. He was released after 16 acquaintances vouched for him. Quite a solid alibi there. On Friday, heavy rain fell on the region as the search continued. Now, there was a slight chance that Pamela may have found shelter in a nearby structure, so every barn, house, and outbuilding in the area was searched, but she wasn't found. Carroll County High Sheriff James Welch stated, quote, Certain evidence we have uncovered leads me to believe that the child may have wandered onto a highway and been struck and killed by a motorist who carried the body to a hiding place some distance from the White Ledge National Forest. His theory was supported by two separate reports. First, there was Joseph Hayward, and he was a resident of nearby Center Ossipee, and he told police he had seen a girl matching Pamela's description, walking along the road carrying a piece of cardboard in her hand. So Hayford and Deputy Sheriff Harry M. Levitt proceeded to the scene where they did find the bottom of a cardboard box. In addition, they found tire skid marks there. Second, an unnamed woman from nearby Conway stated she saw a motorist experiencing some sort of mechanical problem near the same spot around 4 p.m. on the very day that Pamela disappeared. Many felt it was time for the search to start winding down, so hundreds of the troops were recalled. High Sheriff Welch explained that the bulk of the volunteers would leave on either Saturday or Sunday. The search, which was no longer considered to be a rescue mission, it would be continued by individuals who sought the reward money and by small groups of the forest rangers. But as a whole, most of the people were going to leave. But that wasn't what happened. More than 1,000 men from the Greater Lowell area, that's basically the Hollingworth's hometown, they joined together to spend the weekend scouring those woods for young Pamela. In total, an estimated 1,500 men formed the largest searching party ever in New England up until that point. Not only did they have to truck all those men in, 
They also had to bring in food, supplies, and equipment to help with the enormous search effort. And to make things even worse, over 6,000 cars, mostly driven by the curious onlookers, they just jammed the roads in the search area. Yet the search was in vain. There was no sign of Pamela or her remains. Even worse, 42-year-old George Dunbar suffered a heart attack. Then there was 25-year-old Walter Lynch who ended up in the hospital. And there was another 300 men who needed treatment for sprains, bruises, exposure to the elements, and other maladies. So, was Pamela kidnapped? Murdered? Could she have drowned or fallen off a cliff? Well, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. But when we return, I'll tell you exactly what happened to her. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. At the time, I only felt a punch. I think everything went wrong. His drug of choice was heroin. Binging and purging over and over and over. Evaluate you, and if you're okay to go, they're going to let you go. This is Justin, and I do the Peripheral Podcast. I have a true crime background, but when telling the stories of true crime, sometimes you have to gloss over topics like mental illness, drug addiction, sexual assault. And I feel like we do that in life too. So this podcast is my attempt to bring all of these topics that are on the peripheral into the mainstream. So please join me wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. We're going to pick up our story on Monday, October 6, 1941, as the search for Pamela Hollingworth entered its eighth day. Police revealed they had another witness. She was former schoolteacher Thelma Knight of Augusta, Maine, and she claimed to have seen a girl fitting Pamela's description sitting on a rock that bordered the White Mountain Highway. It just happened to be the same spot that the other two witnesses claimed to have seen her. High Sheriff James Welch expressed even more confidence in his opinion that Pamela had been struck by a car and that her body had been carried away. But Joe Hollingworth refused to accept this. He stated, I cannot be convinced that Pamela is dead. This is not my hope. It is my belief. We will go on. 
Around 5 o'clock that evening, a search crew was on the north side of Mount Shokarua near the intersection of the Middle Sister Trail and the Hobbs Brook Trail. They were just about to call it quits for the day when they heard what they thought was a faint voice. It sounded something like, hi, hi. So Civilian Conservation Corps members Bill Matson and Rusty Ramazzo, they ran to the source of the sound, and there they found a young girl in tattered clothing. She calmly stated, I've been out in the rain and cold since Sunday. One of the team members asked, What's your name? She replied, Pammy. To which Matson replied, You're in better shape than we are. The team radioed back to the base camp, informing them that they had found Pamela alive. So Joe Hollingworth asked to speak to his daughter. Her first words to him were, Where have you been? As if he had been the one who had been lost the entire time. Joe immediately set out to reach the remote rescue site. A military jeep transported him a portion of the way, and then he sprinted up the remainder of the trail. As soon as he set his eyes on Pamela, Joe lifted her in a joyous embrace as tears just rolled down his face. He carried Pamela down the mountain to the awaiting jeep, and along the way, Pamela reportedly said, quote, This is fun. It's fun riding in a jeep car, Daddy. Where are we going? Where is Mummy? Where is Teddy? An awaiting ambulance transported Pamela to Memorial Hospital in North Conway, which is approximately 12 miles or 19.3 kilometers away. It was there that Joe finally called his wife Blanche with the incredible news. Escorted from their Massachusetts home by state troopers, Mrs. Hollingworth arrived at the hospital later that evening. Pamela explained to her parents how she was able to survive. Quote, I slept in a little hole that I filled with leaves. I had to crawl out when I wanted some water and drink from the brook. She added, When I got hungry, I just crawled to the brook for some more water. Now, Pamela never saw a single person during the entire ordeal, even though several witnesses claimed to have seen her. Now, she did hear the search planes flying overhead, but she was unable to signal to them, mainly due to the dense forest canopy. Eight days without food had caused Pamela's weight to drop by 8 pounds or 3.6 kilograms. Now, that may not seem like much, but it was nearly 18% of her body weight. She was suffering from cuts, bruises, and most significantly, extremely frostbitten feet. In fact, her sneakers had to be cut off from her swollen feet. A little side note here. The sneakers were to be placed on permanent display at the Morse Museum in Warren, New Hampshire. Now, I tried to check up to see if they were still there, but sadly the museum building and its contents were sold off in 1992. Mrs. Hollingworth said that the frostbite had turned her daughter's feet black and that they had swelled to nearly double their normal size. She added, quote, Her little face is so thin and her normally large dimples aren't even visible. Joe stated, quote, Pammy doesn't look like the same child that went into the woods. I wouldn't have recognized her features when she was found if I saw them under any other circumstances. She is just skin and bones. The day after Pamela's rescue, Representative Edith Norse Rogers of Massachusetts stood before the U.S. House of Representatives and offered up her thanks to all those involved in the search. Here is just a portion of what she said. Mr. Speaker, early last evening I was overjoyed to receive word by telephone from Joseph E. Hollingworth 
that his little five-year-old daughter Pamela had been found alive and well after being lost for more than a week in the dense forests of New Hampshire. This little child, the daughter of one of my friends and constituents, Mr. Joseph E. Hollingworth of Lowell and Dunstable, Massachusetts, strayed away from a picnic at White Ledge in the New Hampshire woods a week ago Sunday. Since that time, every foot of the densely wooded White Mountain National Forest has been searched by men of the United States Army, by rangers of the Forest Service, by CCC boys, and by hundreds of Lowell men and boys, friends of the distraught father and mother, all of whom trudged the woods to the point of physical exhaustion to find the little girl. The Red Cross was there with food and first aid. That she was found alive and well was a miracle. She added, One of my purposes in calling this to the attention of the House is to commend the searchers for their untiring efforts, their persistence in the face of an almost universal belief that further search was futile. I visited the locality and saw with my own eyes the efficient, well-organized manner in which the search was conducted. The highest praises do every man and boy who participated. That same day, Joe Hollingworth took to the national airwaves and graciously thanked just about everyone involved for all they had done. He gave a summary of how Pamela got lost, how the family initially searched for her, and the eight-day search that culminated with her rescue. But most significantly, he gave an update on Pamela's health. Quote, Dr. Williams watched over her last night and saw her this morning. He said he was so amazed when he saw her coming down the mountain that he couldn't believe it. He couldn't imagine she was alive. I had hoped all along she'd be alive and kicking and that it's just what she is. Her condition is good. Her lungs are fine and so are her feet. Unfortunately, he spoke too soon because later that day he'd learned that one of Pamela's feet was far more severely frostbitten than had been first thought and she probably would be in the hospital for the next month. Telegrams, telephone calls, over 1,000 letters, and more than 200 hair ribbons to replace one she lost came in from all over the country. Day after day, reporters stood outside the hospital hoping to get even the tiniest detail about Pamela. You know, how her recovery was proceeding, what she had to eat, what she had to say, and so on and so on. She even received offers to appear in the movies and on radio, to which Joe Hollingworth responded, quote, When Pam leaves here, she's going to a Lowell hospital, and when she leaves there, she's going home to a normal life. We're not going to commercialize our baby. But ultimately, all the attention proved too much for the family. At 7.30 a.m. on Monday, October 13, 1941, that's one week after her rescue, the Hollingworths quietly withdrew Pamela from Memorial Hospital, and then they took her back home where they placed her in Lowell General Hospital. Joe did leave the following note, quote, Dear Press, sorry to do this, but Mrs. Hollingworth and I agree with the doctor that this is the best way to do this for Pam's sake. If it was your kid, you'd do the same. And it was signed Joe Hollingworth. Pamela would spend a total of 19 days in those two hospitals before being released. She would make a full recovery and she'd have no lasting effects from the ordeal. 
Meanwhile, the state of New Hampshire set a deadline of October 25th for all those seeking a reward for their help in locating Pamela Hollingworth. On December 11th, it was announced that the state's $500 reward money would be split, you ready for this, 86 ways. Uh, And most of those were to CCC enrollees. On December 23rd, there was an additional $500 that was collected by the citizens of Lowell, and that was split 87 ways. But in this case, the two men that first rescued Pamela, that's Bill Matson and Rusty Ramazzo, they each got $25. That would be about $450 today. It turns out they were ineligible to receive any portion of that New Hampshire reward, so this is all that they got. Pamela would go on to graduate from Smith College in 1958, and after that she was employed as a public relations executive for the Lane Bryant clothing chain, as editorial director for the Arthritis Foundation, as vice president for creative services at the Cancer Society, and communications director of the United States Committee for the United Nations Children Fund, better known as UNICEF. 25 years after her rescue, the press interviewed a now 30-year-old Pamela. She reflected on what had happened, and here are just a few highlights of what she had to say. Quote, I began to lose track of time in my sense of direction. I had wandered off and I couldn't find the brook again, so I went without water for three days. Then it rained, so I drank out of a puddle. She added, At one point I heard my mother calling me, but she couldn't hear me call back. Pamela then went on to describe the moment when she was rescued. I heard somebody nearby and I called out something like, Woo, woo, and the men came running through the stream toward me. My first thought was that their mothers would be mad at them for getting their feet wet. They asked me my name and my father's name and where I lived. They were testing my sanity, but I thought they were checking to see if I was the right one. I thought if I wasn't, they'd leave me. The article concluded, I don't think very many people remember it, though. I don't think of it very often, either. Sadly, Pamela Hollingworth passed away at her Cape Cod home in Orleans, Massachusetts on September 11, 1992. The cause was an unspecified heart ailment. She was just 56 years old at the time. Useless? Useful? I'll leave that for you to decide. Well, as I bring this story to a close, I just want to remind you that my email is steve at uselessinformation.org. In fact, my website is uselessinformation.org. And you can contact me with your thoughts on this episode or any other story I've ever done. And if you have suggestions for other stories, let me know about that also. You can also contact me through my website or messenger on Facebook. Uh, Just another reminder that my new book, The Flipside History, is currently available. You can also check out my two previous books. They're Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. All three of those books are collections of long-forgotten true stories, you know, just like the one you just heard. Um, Be sure to subscribe to the Useless Information Podcast or your favorite podcast platform, whether that be iTunes, and I think it's actually now Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, or whatever. And you'll have immediate access to new episodes when they're released. Uh, A reminder that my Twitter feed is at UselessInfoCast. And be sure to like the show on Facebook. Anyway, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next podcast. Thanks as always for listening and take care, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. 
If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.